wenn wir wüssten, wie die Dinge enden, wohin uns unsere Reise führt, würden wir trotzdem die gleichen Entscheidungen treffen? Oder würden wir andere Wege einschlagen? Another day at Cheap as Fuck Cheapskate's uh, recording studio, and uh, behind the eight ball, the rogue philosopher, uh, here at Cheapskate Recording Studios. The iPhone is wrapped up in plastic, the wind is blocked. I haven't tried this before. I've got my computer out here with a headset in case I need to consult any notes of any kind. I may need to consult some if I'm going to break down the, um, the Kai Balian. And by breakdown, I mean, I mean it's, it won't be the most elaborate breakdown. I'm just going to go through each of the chapter headings and highlight the hermetic principles, the axioms that they have at the beginning <clears throat> of each chapter and help people get grounded by uh, surveying the Kybalion and the Emerald Tablet. Now, I'm definitely not the only one talking about dark with the alchemy angle. There are a number of other articles out online. I've got another one right in front of me. I may or may not consult it. But I have my computer with my headset. Hopefully the, the computer won't have any EVPs. Electronic voice phenomena will record over the, um, the iPhone. I don't think so. But um, I have never tried this before, so I don't know if it will slow me down or trip me up or make me more stumbling around and hesitant with my words, because uh, usually I just like to try to start on something, stay focused, and, and keep going without stopping. I don't need to use notes, so normally I don't need to use notes on most topics uh, that I'm talking about. But for this I want to because I, it has to be concise, and, and I need it to be accurate. Um, at some point, maybe this episode, maybe the next one, I'm going to go through a partial working bibliography of the different sources I'm drawing from, esoteric and otherwise, uh, just to help fill in some of the blanks if they need to be filled in as far as this. Now the, the thing is, ultimately, I have a theory and it's probably echoed in the article I didn't finish reading and probably everywhere else people talk about dark and alchemy and all the rest of it. I don't think Jonas and, and Martha and the stranger and Adam and Eva, I don't think these people are studying alchemy because they're alchemists. I mean, for all they've got the they've got the, the paraphernalia, uh, the group in Adam's world is is called Sigmundus, and in Eva's world it's it's as Arad looks, let there be light. Um, Sigmundus, these I have created, or the the world is created, or something to that effect. Um, and they have the emerald tablet tattooed on them, and they talk about faith and destiny, and but they're they don't speak of any theological issues. Yes, they have the rubric, they understand it, obviously they're, they're doing alchemy. I think they're doing it to try to find the, the God particle, the prima materia. That's what alchemy has always been obsessed with, uh, is finding the Philosopher's Stone that's the source of everything. It's the, the molecule that heals everyone from, from being sick, it will impart immortality, or at least long life. Um, 
and can turn any other substance into gold. It's, it's a pretty amazing... Um, one has to have a little acquaintanceship with the theory to know well, why is why is this philosopher's stone such a, a magical thing because that's ultimately what it is it's white it's white magic I think they're doing it as a means to reach the God particle not because they are alchemists they never talk about alchemy they never talk about different aspects of, of the great work the stages in the great work they don't even talk about the great work they they, they talk about some of the mysterious symbolism and elements of alchemy but they never go into the great depth it seems to me I think they have great knowledge but they don't they don't exemplify having that knowledge and the problem that I had at once and I had to laugh it's not because the Kybalion is, is, a, is a worthless text I don't think it's a worthless text it's very elementary it's very much a text for beginners for all that, it's concise and it, it covers the material in a way that's simple to understand, that's very direct. So if you're a beginner and you're reading about alchemy and you want to start to learn about it, and you want to try to grasp it, the Kybalion's not a bad place for you to start, although it, you have to use it with some caution. And the reason I say that is because I'm, I'm more of a purist. There are scholars I'd rather recommend that you read first, there, there are different uh, esoteric texts, there are different scholars who've written about these, these esoteric texts, uh, and the Kybalion is, is written to be sold. Ultimately, the book is written to, in the early 1900s, to sell a lot of copies, and it's been dangerously compromised when they blended, blended it with new thought, with uh, that, that, you know, early 20th century think-your-way-to-happiness cult, where you know, some of the stuff in there they say is pretty good, like Napoleon Hill, um, uh, Dale Carnegie, not all that stuff is bunk. It, it has it has its place. Uh, but the bottom line of it is you think your reality into being and you think your universe and your all your laws of attraction and everything, that's not to be confused with the laws of power. Okay, laws of attraction. That is, if you manifest it, it will, it will come, right? It'll, it'll, you'll, you'll, Manifest it in your thoughts and it'll bring it into your life and there's some Efficaciousness to doing that in terms of positive affirmation uh, Positive reinforcement all that stuff has merit, but it's also <clears throat> dangerously close To blaming People's misfortune on themselves and when, can, when you can dismiss somebody else's mis misfortune by saying well You know, it's it's their own fault. You know, they weren't thinking enough positive thoughts. They they brought it on themselves. They brought all that negativity on themselves. I, being a disabled, a disabled man in the 21st century, I just I refuse to accept that because then that's like saying to me, and it is actually, saying it to me very directly, your life sucks and you're blind because you're not thinking enough positive thoughts, and I will I reject that utterly. And I think anyone who's disabled would do the same. That's that's an unacceptable victim blaming statement. And I mean, look, you can take it from me. I'm not a fucking activist. Okay, I'm not a, I'm not into any of that shit. And if I'm saying that, then it's probably pretty close to true, because I'm not being frivolous, and I don't, uh, I don't have anything to gain by by railing against it. I'm not involved in any activism whatsoever. Nothing. Maybe I should be. ADA and all that shit. I just, I run screaming from it as far as and as fast as I can manage. Let others do that. done precious little to help me in my life anyway, so I don't really trust activists like that anyway, but all that's neither here nor there.
So victim blaming, uh, oversimplification, this Mary Baker Eddy Christian science mentality, you know, uh, if your prayers aren't answered, well, it's because you didn't pray hard enough. I, I cannot accept that. There is no God. I do not accept that people's lives are, are bad because... They, now, maybe they've done things in their lives that brought an, an, a, a, an evil, painful fate upon them. Okay, yes, granted. Yes, that I buy. That's fine. You, if you hurt too many of the wrong people, if you set out to do something in your life and you, you've poorly planned for it and you're stupid about it and you, you don't learn from your mistakes and your life goes badly, then you've got nobody but yourself to blame. If you're, if you're a, a criminal, a thief or something, and in the end you end up in prison, you can't sit there and cry because, oh, your life went so badly, you were a thief and eventually they caught you. You've either got to accept, well, they, they caught you because you were stupid, or they caught you because they're better than you. Either way, you deserve to get caught. But people want to take that sort of a mentality and apply it to the disabled, to the poor, uh, to, to human beings who are, are genuinely downtrodden. They are, they're truly genuinely experiencing uh, ill treatment at the hands of, of their fellow countrymen and, and their, at their society. And certainly uh, nobody in the West would accept it if you started blaming people for their illnesses. You know, the, this idea of somebody with cancer, they're fighting the cancer. It's a noble battle. It's not. It's just, you're sick. You might get well, you, you might not. You go in, you take the medicine. Positive thought would help you not be crushed under the weight of it, you know. that's. But it's, it, it may have some effect on your immune system. Nobody really knows. But you can't walk up to somebody's family who someone's died of cancer and you can't say to them, well, it's a pity they lost their fight with the cancer, which you hear that every day, don't you? Senator so-and-so lost his fight with terminal brain cancer yesterday, tragically. They didn't lose. It was their time to die. You don't lose a fight with death. You die when you're supposed to die, right? Lost his battle with cancer. No, that's, that's depriving that person of any dignity uh, and any agency. And that's literally blaming them for their own death. I mean, and there are some people who actually believe this. You get old and you die because you think you'll get old and die. And it's, it's this sort of lunacy that leads me to, to, to in the end, well, I, can have, I have some sympathy for some of these ideals and practices and meditations and whatnot, but it's this kind of lunacy, the, the particular Western American malaise that, that says if, if, if you're losing in your life and you're sick, it's all your fault. And you, 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 we, we, therefore, we don't have to help you. We're not obligated to do you any good because you're, you're... Now, if, if someone is a, is a... Well, I do think they should have medical treatment, but if someone is a hopeless alcoholic or drug addict and you give them the treatment and they refuse to take the treatment and they die, I mean, even then it's a cruel thing to say to someone because, I mean, but still, at least then you could say, well, you know, they chose to keep doing drugs. And in the end, they'd rather have taken drugs than gotten better. That's, you know... You, you can't... You cannot attack people's character because they have ill fortune in their lives. And too much of that New Thought, California, proto-New Age, bunky shit seeks to, to paint people with that brush and put them in the crosshairs. Now in the West, it's, it's, that's the, the flavor it takes. In the East, it's interesting. It's a bit more 
it's a little more interesting and remarkable in the East because they really don't give a damn about helping you in the East. I mean, they, if, you're, if you're an untouchable, if you're born into that caste where you're treated like garbage, it's your fault you're an untouchable because in your last life, it isn't even anything you've done in this one, right? What have I done to deserve this punishment? Nothing. You did it in your previous life and you built bad karma for yourself and now you're sick and you're poor because of your bad karma. That's got nothing to do with me. And, and so, they will not help you. They'll just leave you to die in the street. And even now, it's the year 2020, okay? A lot of people in these Eastern countries, they still end up living lives like that. And it's because their society, the West has, in some ways, it, 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 it's helped civilize and improve the, the societies a bit. You know, to say, well, look, you know, we, we, <laughs> uh, we think democracy is probably a good idea and the caste system is probably a bad one. Yeah, we should probably try to, even the communists hated the caste system. You know, we can probably do better, we can, we can do a better job of being a better society, whatever. And look, and if, 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 if some of you are in Bangalore or whatever, and you're a little mad at me right now, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to insult your culture, but I, I think it's a dreadful way to treat people. To look at somebody who's poor, they've suffered misfortune, and I, I, I say this from being disabled, being the recipient of fake healing and prayers and all the rest of that shit, okay? You don't say to somebody who's had misfortune in their life that it's their fault. Now, pure alchemy, hermeticism, uh, you don't see that same kind of mentality. That's why I think the Kybalion was weakened when they, when they mixed... Hermetic principles, yes, when they mix them with modern, new thought. They weakened their case considerably. And so, yeah, the, the Kabbalion is something you want to read if, if you want an introduction to some of these principles and you want to have some idea uh, where to begin, okay? If you're Adam in Sigmundus, you're not reading the Emerald Tablet to find the, the Philosopher's Stone, to find the, 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 the God Particle. You're just not. You're, you're on a level so far advanced from that. I mean, I think there's once where Jonas is reading through the Emerald... No, no, Elizabeth is, is reading the Emerald Tablet. Uh, and we, we know Noah has it tattooed on his back. It's, it's, their, it's their religion. But time is their God. And as Noah even points out, look, there's no God. It's just a, a spiral of pain and chaos. Nihilism, okay? Pain and chaos. He doesn't pray to the God because he thinks God can have his mind changed by any theurgic or, or any other action. On his part, he wants to find the God particle so he can travel through time so that all the travelers can, can find a way to either to escape the loop or to kill their opponents and, and destroy the loop the way Jonas keeps trying to do and failing to do because he can't do it. You, you have to have the third, the third realm. You cannot destroy the, either Eva's world or uh, Adam's world from within Eva or Adam's world. It's already set. The, the time loop is already set. The only way is to create a world where there was no Jonas or Martha. That's the only way they could do it. But it still makes for quite a philosophical quandary. Okay, so hence, when they're reading the Emerald Tablet, I'm laughing. I'm going, yeah, right, no. No, Paracelsus, uh, Isaac Newton, who was an amazing alchemist. Gravity has nothing to do with physics. It was an alchemical force originally.
and Newton saw it the same way that he viewed other alchemical principles bodies attracting and falling to other bodies he thought that that demonstrated you know the alchemical affinity between all matter right now we think differently today and we have physics to prove it but if you want to praise Isaac Newton you've got to you've got to praise him for what he was he was a a protophysicist yes an exceptionally brilliant genius in anatomy and a million other things he was an alchemist he didn't give up on his alchemy until he was an old man he tried for 40 years to make the philosopher's stone um, and he also wrote an exceptionally complicated treatise about the end of the world and the coming of Armageddon and the Antichrist this was not a scientist as we understand them today he was a man of knowledge a man of science but he wasn't a scientist the way we think of science now where you're totally rational, independent observer, using a, um, a logically applied modern objective methodology. Newton was none of those things. And rather than detract from Newton, it, it improves my respect for Newton even more. It increases my, my respect for Newton. Um, but anyway, so I, my, my theory, my thinking is, Adam, Eva, the stranger, Jonas, they and Martha, they wanted to find the God particle, and alchemy was the best way that they knew to do it. And wherever they landed in time, they could practice alchemy. They could not get more cesium-137. They had some. Back in 1888 and 1921, they had some uh, from from... Uh, the device from the the mechanism the time machine one of the time machines but alchemy you can do alchemy anywhere electricity you can do that anywhere been doing that since the end of the 18th century and so I think they fell back upon the scientific methodology or the proto-science if you like that would best serve them no matter where they were in time or no matter what the state of the world was so they could be in 2050 2052 Okay, they're still able to look for the God particle with electricity and different forces and alchemy, hermeticism. Now that's not to say that they're entirely devoid of hermetic principles, but for all the symbolism, the secret society, there's very little talk of, of the, the God Hermes, or Mercury, if you will. There's very little talk of Mercury, Sulfur, and Salt. There's very little talk of Paracelsus, uh, very little, even of Fulcanelli, which Noah certainly would have known about. Um, anybody from that time period, the early 20th century, 1920s, you know, it, it was still sort of around. It was still in the background. There was still, you know, there were still people trying to do serious alchemy. There still are today, actually. They're very few, but there still are. So they were doing it in quest of the God particle to build another uh, time loop or to build another a way to travel in and out of time and now the what is this the the Kybelion what is it uh, by the three initiates it's supposed to be an occult work um, they think it's this a pseudo apocryphal name of someone named William Water Adkinson I think his name is uh, one person 
but it tends to have more um, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of esoteric documents do this. They they want to gain more credibility, as it were, and so they'll they'll name themselves after thinkers who've lived in the past and different philosophers. They'll be pseudo writing under the pseudonym of these thinkers, and I think in their case, the three initiates sounds a lot more sophisticated and complex than you know. Oh, I'm just a a painter who wrote a book, you know, based on California, you know, new thought and and some hermetic principles. Nonetheless, I think, I think it's important to go over the, the, the hermetic axioms. I think it makes sense to go over the Emerald Tablet as well a little bit before jumping into my analysis through the Rosarium Philosophorum, my analysis of, of Martha and Adam and uh, Jonas's character arcs. Uh, so the, um, the chapters are very short. There's usually a statement claiming to be from this document called the Kybalion that explicates alchemic and hermetic principles. And there's a short chapter after each one, and I, I, I think I'll just go through each one of these chapter headings and, and talk a little bit about it based on what little I know of alchemy and what, I'm, what I can draw from. And I, and I think ultimately, while there's something to be gained in this, I, I don't imagine uh, that any of the people in either one of those secret societies would be having a thing to do with the Kybalion. I don't think they would. The Emerald Tablet, probably. The Kybalion, no. Okay, They'd probably be reading stuff a lot more sophisticated than that. Because the Kybalion is, is a very good occult, occultism uh, beginning text. Uh, whether you're a practitioner or a researcher, it's it's there. There are better ones to read if you're a scholar. Uh, if you have studied Western esotericism, or if you are studying Western esoteric concepts to do literary analyses or for whatever, then there are scholars whom it would be better for you to start. If you're a historian of religions, there there are scholars who did a better job that you can get more from for your, for your discipline. But the, the, nonetheless, the Kybalion, it's, it's in a lot of lists online. It's always among the top five. It's, it's an important text if you're starting out, whether you're on the path or you're, if you're a practitioner or a scholar or both of these principles. Kybalion gives one a good grounding. Uh, if nothing else, it, in, in the basic thoughts, uh, the worldview, as it were, of, of Hermeticism. And I'm just going to go through these principles now. This is where I'm going to start trying to use notes, and it may slow me down, but I've marked the passages out, so let's see if I can do this gracefully or if it's going to be a complete and total uh, obscenity of, uh, of recording. So this first chapter, let's see. All right, get out of this article here. Because it is going to slow me down while I'm typing, while I'm listening, because I'm listening over my headset to this. Okay. Well, here, this is a good place to start. Okay, chapter one. The lips of wisdom are closed, except to the ears of understanding. Okay. 
So he who has ears, he, he who has ears, let him hear. Right? If you're meant to understand it, it's because you already have understanding. The lips of wisdom are closed. So if you don't have something, preferably a master who's guiding you through it, you don't just pick up one of these books and open it up, unless you're reading the Kybalion, and have the wisdom come to you all at once. Because you don't have the prerequisites to understand what you're hearing in its context or in its symbolism and interpretation. Uh, so, um, so this first paragraph, for example, and, I, and I've talked a little bit about this, it's just giving a very, very elementarily written basic introduction to the the supposed origin of alchemy being in Egypt. They don't even mention, they're, they're mentioning the secret doctrine. They're guided by theosophists. And the different places where there's some sort of hidden wisdom. Hidden wisdom and mystic teachings from your secret doctrine. Uh, hold on. From old Egypt have come the fundamental esoteric and occult teachings which have so strongly influenced the philosophies of all races, nations, and peoples for several thousand years. Egypt, the home of the pyramids, and the Sphinx was the birthplace of the hidden wisdom and mystic teachings from her secret doctrine, all nations have borrowed. India, Persia, let's have a long list now to overwhelm you with, with lists, right? India, Persia, Chaldea, Medea, China, Japan, Assyria, ancient, ancient Greece, and Rome, and other ancient countries. So if that's not enough for you, okay, if about 20 countries the, everything from the Eleusinian mysteries all the way through, you know, it's 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 written. Look, it's it's written for it's a, a text for beginners. So, I'm not knocking it in Noah's hands because it's entirely useless. Although it's a little childish, I'm knocking it because I disbelieve Noah would need to be reminded of that. He's been in this for for decades, Jonas, for decades, 66 years or more. Adam, the stranger. These people aren't going to be needing to be reminded of what this stuff is by looking at the Kaibalion. Okay, they, they, they don't even need to talk about it anymore. And their purpose isn't for mystic wisdom. Their purpose is for physical wisdom. The principles of truth are seven. He who knows these understandingly possesses a magic key before whose touch all the doors of the temple will fly open. The seven hermetic principles upon which the entire hermetic philosophy is based are as follows. Okay. Okay, and these are just, it's listing the principles more simply. Okay. The prince, and some of these are hermetic, of course. Okay, one, the principle of mentalism. Okay. 
Two, the principle of correspondence. I've gone over this in previous episodes. The principle of vibration. The principle of polarity. That's interesting. The principle of rhythm. I defy you to tell me how that differs from vibration, but okay. The principle of cause and effect. I defy you to, defy you to tell me how that's different than polarity, but, but okay. VII, the principle of gender, that's seven. How is that different from polarity? Once again, these seven principles will be discussed and explained as we receive short explanation of each, however, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so they're, they're giving a brief description at the beginning of chapter one. Yeah, it's, it's written in, it's easy to understand this. Okay, and I'm going to just very quickly skim through these summaries. Mentalism says all this mind, the universe is mental. Okay, and I think we know what that means. You think your reality into existence the same way the universe thought you into existence, and it's all, it's all connected. All the outward appearances and manif uh, manifestations and appearances, which we know under the terms of the material universe, the phenomenon of life, matter, energy, and in short, all that is apparent to our senses is spirit, which is itself unknowable and indefinable, but which may be considered as in the thought of universal infinite, infinite living mind. Okay, that, you got that, right? That's pretty easy to grasp, I should think. Um, which, yes, that is part of Hermeticism. The principle of correspondence, as below, as above, so below, as below, so above. Okay, we've gone over that. Where these worlds mirror one another, whether you're in the celestial, the physical, uh, uh, the mental, all these worlds are the same world reflected. They differ in their size, they differ in their, um, their influence, their magnitude, but not in their construction. Okay, that's how one is able to say. Now, I guess a really cheap way to express this, I mean, it, it, that definitely is an alchemical uh, maxim, no doubt of it. Okay, but I guess a very, very cheap way to grasp this, metaphorically speaking. Okay. The model of the atom, which I, I understand we're using different models now. The Bohr model isn't exactly the one. The, the, the whole of the, the electrons revolving around protons, revolving around the neutrons in the center. I, I, guess, I guess the world has moved on from that model. That was the early 20th century, but most of us really haven't because we never study physics to that degree. But it's, it's instinctive. It's almost impossible not to say, well, the structure of the atom is the same as, as our solar system. And what if our solar system is, is an atom in, in gigantic proportions and there's something bigger than our solar system? You know, I mean, it, it, it lends itself to that when you talk about uh, protons and neutrons being revolved around by the electrons. The, the, I think the different shell levels of energy in the atom 
denotes its level of energy, not necessarily its position in space where it's orbiting. But I mean, I, I'm no physicist. I, I've never studied physics beyond very elementary physics. I'm terrible at math and don't do diagrams real well. I hate diagrams. The quickest way to demonstrate to me that one has nothing useful to say is to throw a diagram in my face. That's like, yep, if you lack the capacity to speak a simple English sentence and describe something to me, you've got nothing to say to me. Diagrams. Okay, so um, this might be a little more difficult to go through this summary, but I'll keep jumping from chapter heading to chapter heading. I marked them off. This principle embodies the truth that there are already correspondences between the laws and the phenomena of the various planes and being of life. The old hermetic axiom branded these words as above, so below, as below, so above. And the grasping of this principle gives one the means of solving many dark paradoxes and hidden secrets of nature. Yes, that's true. That's true, yes. And I think that the reason for them studying the alchemy, right? Of course it makes sense. As above, so below. As below, so above. History repeats itself. Uh, the worlds reflect one another and repeat one another at, at all levels and at all stages on the time loop. Um, they did begin to discover near the end of the third season before they were able to figure out the third way, which three, Trinity, three is the Trinity knot. Uh, three is also the elements that Paracelsus used to try to m create the Philosopher's Stone, Mercury, Sulfur, and Salt. Okay? Three is the Trinity of Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay? There's Trinities everywhere. So for there to be a third realm, that isn't part of the mirror imaging of Adam's realm and Eva's realm makes perfect sense. And, and again, I've got to say again that um, the writers, I don't know how to pronounce the names, God help me, uh, Yantye Fries, uh, she's very kind to her audience and Baron Bodar, he's very they're very kind, I think, because they're creating a very, very cerebral drama, right? And, and a lot of people, even if you loved Lost or Twin Peaks or something like that, a lot of people get ejected from stuff that's too cerebral, and, and maybe rightly so. You know, because if they can't connect it to something that's fun or that makes sense, they're like, well, it's boring. No, they, they make certain, and I think they do it, uh, some critics disagree with me, but I think they do it in a manner that, far from beating their audiences over the head or talking down to their audience, I think it opens the way for their audience to grow into the drama if they wish. It gives all of the, the text, the literature, the poetry, the philosophy, all of that is, is easily presented to you. So if you want to go and read it yourself, or look it up, or watch a documentary about it, you can do so. Okay, it, and really, it isn't like, okay, Twin Peaks, uh, you know, or even um, Twin Peaks, or, or even... Um, you know, the, the sister, the competitor for, for Dark, or Stranger Things, okay? They're not as free with handing you the key to the drama, to the different keys that bring different elements in. Okay, Stranger Things, you've kind of got to be a bit of a nerd already. To kind of, you've had to have, it really would have 
helped if you'd grown up in the 80s like I did, or a lot of people nostalgic when they watched Stranger Things. And you sort of had to know stuff beforehand, okay? Same thing with Twin Peaks. You had to really know something about Eastern philosophy. The irony being that uh, uh, David Lynch accredits Eastern philosophy with helping him, you know, with transcendental meditation, with helping him tap into this dramatic wellspring of creativity when the intent of transcendental meditation is the precise opposite. You're supposed to calm that stuff down. You're supposed to put that stuff to sleep, not wake it up. But, in, but never mind, it's not for me to... It's not for me to correct the errors of Hollywood elites uh, who have millions and millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> so, uh, but what I mean is, if you known about Eastern religions, you could flow with Twin Peaks, sure. Okay. With this show, though, they've lowered the barriers without lowering the intellectual level and without weakening the suspense. So I, I disagree. There are critics who say they... they beat the audience over the head with the symbolism. Like they hit you a hundred times like, you better look at Ariadne by Gerda, and you look at this maze, the, the, the Minotaur, the red string, the bzzz, you know, they, they really say, well, they're, they're beating them over the head. No, I disagree. I think they're, they're giving the audience in a way that's fair, that's actually very compassionate. They're giving a way for the audience to pursue these leads on their own and to discover for themselves preferably while they're watching the drama unfold, what this could mean. Now, throughout the whole thing, I gotta tell you, they did a good job. I, I've had a lifelong interest in, in Western esotericism and alchemy and theurgy and magic and various systems. Uh, if you wanna be more like uh, uh, Thomas Kuhn, you know, uh, worldviews, uh, in, his, in his book, Theory of Scientific Revolutions, where he talks about different worldviews and different paradigms. I mean, I've studied philosophy, so... I couldn't have told you how that show was going to end. And I didn't know everything, of course. I'm not as strong into Goethe, but I am in terms of German idealism. And I knew they were drawing from Nietzsche immediately, and I, I understood the eternal recurrence. It didn't help me one wit, one wit in figuring out how the drama would end. Not one bit at all. So that suggests that they're not beating their audience over the head with the obvious. They're supplying the audience with a means of expanding their own understanding. And it'll, it would do so in more than one way, too. Um, one can have a better grasp of the development of science or of history if you know about these things, these esoteric movements in history. Because in the end, you know, well, you're an atheist workman. Well, I tried not to be at various times. I've tried different mysticisms. Okay, the reason I study religion is the same reason others may study psychology. Maybe, maybe Chris and I can talk about that in a future podcast, Chris West and I. Uh, because I study different religions because the human beings made them. And they reflect everything about human psyche and human needs and emotions. God didn't give them to people ready-made from the sky. Humans, for one reason or another, adapted them, created them, uh, lived among and within them the way they live among and within their languages. You know, it, one is interested in the study of religion, not because religions will get you to reach God, because there's no God, but because religions will help you understand human beings better. Okay? 
Now maybe there's energy I can't quite rule out. There's, if most things in this planet are conscious. Maybe there's some higher energy. I, I don't know. But what there isn't is there isn't a God up there who cares what happens to you. There isn't. There isn't. And I know that there's no atheists in foxholes. Okay. Uh, but whatever it is that's up there, it's not something we can understand or have understanding of yet. And I'm, I'm allowing myself to do this tangent because I think that's how they viewed the, the, the time. I think it's how they viewed it. Uh, for, for Adam, for Bartosh and Noah, I think the time loop is in effect their God. And they can maintain themselves for eternity. If they make sure nothing ever changes in the time loop, then they'll keep lasting forever and ever and ever. And it will never go away. But whatever they may have wished at the beginning, because Martha wanted to try to break free of the time loop, let there be light and all, they both end up having to do the same thing for the same reason, thinking that they've started from different purposes. Now there, theory of polarity. Polarity is opposites. Yin and yang is the most obvious one that comes to mind. The positive and the negative on a battery. The positive charge, the negative charge. If you want to be more Kabbalistic, uh, you talk about the Kabbalistic tree of life. It's arranged so that there are opposite forces opposed on the left and right side of the of the Kabbalistic tree. There are galactic and universal forces that are in exact opposition. They they cannot cancel each other out. They cannot negate each other. They cannot conquer one another. Uh, that's why you have the middle pillar in the alchemical Kabbalah. So how would that work? It's It's like Hegel, too. Uh, you have uh, principles that are opposed to one another that get mediated by a higher principle which includes them. Um, so if you have um, you have justice and mercy are juxtaposed in the Kabbalistic tree. Okay, the one is is very harsh, uh, exacting, cruel. You know, for an eye for an eye. Everything you've done will be returned to you tenfold if you violate God's laws, if you're a sinner, or whatever. Okay, justice. You get the punishment you deserve at the instant you get it. Mercy. You never get the punishment because you, you, you are in the hands of a loving entity. Right? The tetragrammaton is light that loves all things in the universe. The, the, the original source of that light is a loving and merciful being, an entity. That has no wish to limit or to prune you or to hurt you. Now, if you follow one or the other of those without mediation or balance, what do you have? You have a dictatorship or you have a spoiled child, right? You, you, you don't have something in balance. But if you mediate uh, through the, the, the uh, love, literally, I think, is the, the heart chakra, if you want to equate the chakras, the seven chakras of the body with the seven sephirot on the lower limbs of the Kabbalistic tree, okay, you mediate that stuff in balance with love because sometimes you've got to be merciful and sometimes you've got to be just and harsh and cruel. You know, your garden isn't going to grow if you let your plants grow however they want. You have to prune them. You have to, in effect, you have to kill them so that they'll grow better. There's certain things that have to be sheared off, you know. Uh, that's polarities. Night and day are polarities. Light and darkness, night and day. Um, <clears throat> yin and yang is, is, a, is a universal polarity. 
male energy and female energy. I understand I might risk getting myself put into prison if I talk about male and female energy, but that's what they're talking about with polarities, that there are these forces. One is the giving force, one is the receiving force. In Paracelsus's realm, uh, remember his three elements for the Philosopher's Stone are mercury, sulfur, and salt. Okay? Mercury is the, is the, the aqueous, uh, that's what you dissolve things in, is mercury, or different forms of acid, or what have you. In the stages of the great work, as you're trying to blend these chemicals together to make the next step up on the ladder of development. The Hermeticists believed that everything in the earth is conscious, and that everything in the earth is slowly growing and evolving. Now they know this because crystals grow slowly. Uh, there are things in the earth that do slowly materialize and grow over time. Stalagmites in a cave. Okay? Now they believe that in the, in the earth, in the womb of the earth, which all things that live come from the earth, the metals are trying to evolve. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to evolve to be gold. That's their ultimate destiny. That's the ultimate height of their uh, development. Their full maturity is gold. And now they know this because as above, so below. As below, so above. And you look at the planets, what do you have? You have seven celestial spheres. Okay? You have the, the matter here on the Earth, but then you have the Moon and the Sun, and you have five planets. You have Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Now each one of these was, was representative of a different metal. Now this is, I'm leaning more into uh, Islamic alchemy, but you'd, one would be shocked if you ever read alchemical texts from China or alchemical treatises from India. The one is using Ayurvedic medicine, the one is using ancient Chinese medicine, feng shui, Taoism, uh, but the alchemy is the same. The metals have the same functions in the alchemical process. You know, antimony, mercury, cinnabar, all right, it's the same damn thing wherever you go in the world. If you're in Greece or Egypt, or if you're in, in China, if you're in, in the Tamil, uh, you know, Sri Lanka, Tamil alchemy, okay, it is a remarkably uniform system, okay? Whatever that means, I, I, have, I have opinions, I think. Um, partly shaped by the fact that, you know, even though the alchemists are practicing alchemy, they're still enacting chemistry. And chemistry, the laws of physics, the laws of chemistry, they are the same no matter where you go on the planet. But I do find it remarkable that in, in these far distant cultures, something as, as hidden and esoteric as alchemy, it's almost identical. Identical. If, if, you, if you understand the symbolism in Paracelsus, if you understand the symbolism in the secret of the golden flower, if you understand the, the Egyptian, if you understand the Picatrix and the, uh, the book of alchemy and magic of, of, uh, of the Arabs, the 10th century, okay, if you understand one of those, you probably understand all of them. They're very similar and they draw from similar uh, experiences, perhaps. Alchemy does originate in Egypt, so perhaps there's something to be said for that, but but who knows? China, I don't know. I don't think Chinese alchemy started in Egypt. I think it started in China. Um, so, 
polarities, opposites. In the alchemical work, which is you're creating an artificial womb, you're creating an artificial fire, the way the sun is the fire for us, and the way there's fire in the center of the earth, you're, you're, you're recreating this process and, and everything that you're using in the alchemical work, in your lab, wants to evolve anyway. It's just that if you allow it to evolve on its time, it'll take a lifetime or more. It'll take an eternity. It'll take an age. Maybe it'll take 432,000 years or billion or whatever that number is. But what you're doing is you're using uh, theurgistic divine magic to accelerate that process. Your will and, and the will of, of God, which the will of God is already um, for these metals to, to grow and to change and to evolve on their trajectory. Okay, the alchemist is merely accelerating that process and perfecting it and, and increasing it. Depending on what stage you are in the great work and depending on which methodology you're using to speed up these chemical reactions, it could take you anywhere from days to years. But you're still accelerating it. It's still faster than in the earth. And, and metal smelters understood that this is what they were doing anyway. When you make steel, when you make bronze from tin and copper, you're, you're, you're doing something magical. I mean, in our world today, of course, it's not magic because it's chemistry. But for them, it would have been magic for them. They, they, could, they could have had no other way of understanding it. Because you're taking something that's one thing, and it has certain properties. You're mixing it, you're heating it up and melting it into liquid, mixing it into something else, and it comes out the other side something totally different that in no way resembles what came before. Okay? Tin and copper make bronze. Iron and, and coal. Uh, carbon makes steel. Right? How is this possible? I mean, in, in our world now, there's no wonder there should be, but there isn't any associated with that process. There should be. Uh, but for them, they had no way of understanding it other than within the context of the worldview they already lived in. And that was a view of the world that said that matter is alive and that the divine permeates all things. It is true the further you get from the original source of the divine, the emanations weaken as you go further into materia, into gross matter, they would have called it, mud, excrement. You know, the further down that scale you get, the less light there is, but light there is nonetheless. There still is light. And all of it is trying to rise and change and evolve back to its source. We know this. If you, if you watch how the water cycle works, the sun warms the water, the water raises up into the air and becomes clouds, and the clouds come back again as rain. That's the, the, the matter wants to go this way. How come when fires are burning, they're always going up? They're always reaching up. I mean, the, the, the natural philosophers had, had reasons to believe what they did. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't 21st century people writ stupid. They were third century geniuses writ, written for the third century. Every bit as intelligent, maybe more intelligent than we are. 
and, I've, and I've, on other places I've tried arguing the phenomenology of this, where you like, you can't write them off because they thought the Earth was flat, or maybe they didn't, because they thought that life spontaneously generated from mud, because these people were still geniuses. They weren't, they weren't our children who, at five, haven't learned yet what science means. But that's what the Victorians tried to do. They tried to paint them, most of them did. They tried to paint them with that sort of a brush. And, and the same with studying anthropology of savage cultures. They, they painted them with a brush. Well, they're like children. They're unevolved. They're, they're, they're like our, our um, simpletons. They're not simpletons. Not at all. Not even close to that. It's the tools they had to work with, which was merely the observations of their senses. They used what they had to work with as best they could use it. And they didn't have uh, a, 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 they didn't have a methodology the way we do. They didn't have microscopes, they didn't have telescopes, they didn't have a lot of the tools. They didn't have the, the sort of unique development of uh, methodology that we have as far as developing our sciences. And it could have gone the other way. Some people think it almost, you know, there was a point in the middle of the Renaissance when it might have gone in a different direction. Very well might have gone a different direction. Who knows? Um, so, polarities, op uh, opposites, even though they're opposite in the certain state that they're in at the moment, their ultimate wish is to be united, to unify. And... The fire is what helps that work, fire and the will of the alchemist. Now Jung reinterpreted this, he may be right, uh, and there may be some, there are some texts of spiritual alchemy that demonstrate his, his extrapolation may be correct, but he may have incorrectly reconstructed it. We have to remember that, it's possible he was wrong, where he said that the alchemist, as they blended the metals and they melted them and mixed them and that the alchemist knew full well what he was doing wasn't making gold, wasn't charcoal burning, as they said of charlatanry. They knew very well it was evolving their own spirit to be individuated and to uh, evolve to its fullest magical, theurgistical potential. Now look, what they may have, but recently I've been willing to, to think that Jung might have been a bit romantic. He might have been a bit heavy-handed. If Jung were an alchemist, that's what he would have done. But you can't, you can't reconstruct the motives of somebody else who lived hundreds of years before you did and, and think that you've reconstructed it correct. We can't even do that for people today. We can't even do that to pe people in our lives, much less to people who lived hundreds of years ago. You're bringing in uh, a hermeneutical analysis that's you're drawing from your own experiences and your own interpretation and you're trying to apply your own understanding of something to the words that some author wrote a thousand years ago. I can guarantee you if, you, if you beamed that writer forward in time, and if you could have Paracelsus talk to Carl Jung, they may not, they may not fully understand each other, and they might misunderstand one another as saying the same thing with the same words for the same concepts, but I can guarantee you that that would not be the case. I'm willing to argue that. They would misunderstand each other, and if they walked away thinking what they were saying and doing was exactly the same, you couldn't be more in error. There's massive differences. I mean, that's, that's part of what drives hermeneutical analysis of text. 
uh, what what they called in phenomenology the hermeneutic circle, where you you can't help but impose your own okay your your own worldview and your own interpretation over the writing of the of another. You you do you try in the best of faith to reconstruct what that author said as best you can, faithful to what that author meant in context, but you, you're not going to do it. Not accurately. And so, when we're doing this alchemical analysis, so even if I say, well, Jung, Jung, he didn't discover, he created. The collective unconscious, Jung was a genius. I have to repeat myself again and say, look, if I'm criticizing these people, their genius is, is undeniable, unquestionable, and manifold. But I'm still bound to question. Now, Jung did not discover a solid, stable world called the collective unconscious. He didn't discover it. Why? Because it doesn't exist. That's why. Now, I'm not saying one doesn't have mystical experiences and may not learn from their dreams and, and can't use Jungian analysis to interpret their dream. Okay, fine. That's all well and good. But he didn't literally discover this literal basement realm of, of consciousness that we all can tap into in our dreams and that we all carry around. It isn't there. We know the purpose of dreams now. You, the, the brain creates dreams as an algorithm to, to run, to interpret different stuff you've experienced. And while you're dreaming, the brain is trying to clear itself out of, of, uh, of poison. And the brain is very, very active. And it does this to help regenerate itself, and it helps your memory improve, and it does... Your brain is not tapping... Now look, maybe it'd be a better world if it were. I, I can't say that it isn't, but it's not tapping into some mystical force. I wish it were. It's not. It's, it's healing itself from a day of intense work and, and damage from, from free radicals, from, you know, God knows what, chemicals that built up, lactic acid type things. Stuff that'll hurt the brain if you don't get some sleep and get some dreaming in and, and um, get some re recovery, right? Okay, but the idea... God, I feel like a, like a heretic saying this. Let me check the clock again. The idea that Jung discovered this solid state, shared collective unconscious mind is erroneous. Because if he did, then I also have to accept that there is such a thing as the soul and that it does exist apart from the body, and that the soul uh, helps us determine our connection to this collective unconscious, then, then I would have to say that, that there's a ghost in the machine, and that the soul and the body exist, and the soul, even though it can't touch the body, has no influence over the body, has no physical existence at all, cannot die, cannot be destroyed, cannot be created, but yet still it drives the life force of the body, and while it lives, I live. No, I can't accept that. If I, if I accept that Jung was perfectly correct about his analysis, okay, then I have to accept these other things. Then I have to accept that, that body and soul, whether you're a Christian or a scientist or a philosopher, if, if, you, if you accept... It's the same way with... with um, here we go. It's the same as the creation myth. Okay, if, if I say there's a, a separate energy of the mind from the body, but then I try to say that I'm a secular person. That falls down at once because Christianity says there's a, this, a separation between the soul and the body. I think therefore I am. That's all Descartes did. Descartes replaced the soul in Christian theology with the thoughts, the cogito, 
in, in, in his science. That's all he did. And for hundreds of years, and we're Cartesian whether we like it or not, for hundreds of years, and including our, our great psychologists, including Carl Gustav Jung, okay? Jung probably wasn't secular in the end. He probably was a magician. He probably was a, a throwback to an older belief system as best as he could reconstruct it. He wasn't a physician in the end. He was a wizard. That's okay. I'm fine with that because I, whatever, let him be a wizard. That doesn't damage my view of psychology in the least. It's fine. It, because we, we're Cartesian, we're vulnerable to, it's the same, I, I'm going to say like is to like as like is to like. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, you know, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Okay, how is that different from Stephen Hawking? Um, now, even though he had a different intention, he was an atheist. But when he talks about the, the, the earliest fusing matter, the first particle of matter, the, the, the God particle, and it starts out, there's nothing. And yet somehow in a quantum uh, vacuum, it creates itself and becomes everything in the universe. But it begins as a particle of energy. There's no time, there's no space. There's no motion, there's no distance, there's no... Okay, I also want to point out the Lurianic Kabbalistic cosmology. Same thing, okay? Before the vessels were shattered, before it was broken, there was a simple ray of light. There was a, a vast emptiness, okay? Then there was a ray of light that, that materialized from nothing, where the Creator had to create... He needed to create space, because He was already all, and all was unknowable and there was darkness and there was a ray of light oh, that's straight out of the because well, the Kabbalists draw from the Bible anyway they're 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 a lot of them were Orthodox Jews and Christians and alchemists and they they knew their Bible backwards forwards and inside out now the fact that Genesis 1 is the same as the Big Bang okay and it is ex it is exactly the same yes okay the the battle between science and religion is farcical, okay? Coke or Pepsi, McDonald's or Burger King, right? Soviet Union or America, religious or atheist, they're saying the same damn thing. The Cartesian is the same as the Christian Augustinian theologian, the same as the Big Bang, the same as the chapter of one of Genesis. Okay, and I say no, and the phenomenologists say no. No, they say no, right? So, why don't I skip to the next principle, principle three. Now that's not to say I wouldn't like there to be, and I haven't spent years studying these things. It's very poetic, it's very beautiful. And I wish there was more to the world than, okay? But there isn't, okay? There, 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 there isn't. The, the more to the world is in our own consciousness, and in our consciousness, that can be changed and we can experience phenomenologically we can experience things but we can't it's we don't know the mystery of it and no religion is going to solve the mystery for us it's impossible so chapter three okay mental transmutation see now this was it was sort of in the air when Jung came along there was a another scholar as well Oh, his name's escaping me right now. Uh, but Jung didn't develop Jungianism in a vacuum. There were others that he should have attributed, but he didn't cite them, who were saying the same sorts of things about alchemy as he. Now, 
This came out in 1912, the Kybalion, 1912. Okay, so chapter three. Mind as well as elements and metals may be transmuted from state to state. Degree to degree. There you go, there's the Kabbalah for you. Condition to condition, pole to pole. Vibration to vibration. True hermetic transmutation is a mental art. Now they may, yeah, probably some of them definitely thought that. I know from what little understanding I have of it, some of them were, were they practiced alchemy because they genuinely did believe that it would bring them closer. Because for them, the Philosopher's Stone wasn't the, the ultimate particle of matter. It wasn't a metal that could make all things metal and gold. And it wasn't an elixir of life. It was Jesus Christ. It was the soul of Jesus Christ. And that at the heart of the gold, at the heart of all things was Christ and the love of Christ. And so when they practiced their alchemy, sure, they would have believed, because it says the kingdom of God is within you in the gospel, they would have accepted as part of being Christian alchemists. They would have said, I'm trying to expiate my sins through this action by, by doing this alchemical process. I understand that it's mental or spiritual. I understand that the weaker matter, the dross, is the wheat is separated from the chaff, you know. I mean the the, the, the Bible lends itself to alchemy in a lot of passages. Okay? And that that through this, through, through this purification, right, this this will bring me more in accord with with Christ and with salvation. Right? And so it would have made sense because they would have believed in the soul and they would have believed in the spirit of God you know, the molecule of, of, of Christ's love is in you. You know, there were a number of different interpretations of Christianity that, that did think that, that the God, God is within you uh, as well, as out there. Um, but the devil is too, so that's why you have polarities and opposites, right? That's why you have um, these forces juxtaposed to one another. The Hermetists, according to the Kybalion, were the original alchemists, astrologers and psychologists Hermes having been the founder of these schools of thought okay now remember it's 1912 we've had William James Wilhelm Wundt uh, uh, Franz Brantano uh, we've had the Gestalt psychologists we've, we've had you know the, the, these guys were writing early the first 15 years of the 20th century the movements in the world the world as we know it now was fairly well developed a hundred years ago. It would not be unrecognizable. Someone from then would, would have no trouble reading our psychologists. A lot of that stuff was already there. And so what a lot of esotericists would do to, end, to add legitimacy to their movement, and also to demonstrate that they're open to learning, which many of them are, it's true, they, they'll say, well, look, uh, all these people were practitioners of such and such art without acknowledging it but they had to keep it secret but now the, the day and age that we're in we can reveal it now because we're in a, in a place now a level of development where we can say that that uh, Christ was actually an avatar okay he wasn't that that'd be insulting to any Christian who said that to that Christ was just another another incarnation of, 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 of Krishna or something or Vishnu I mean 
or, or, or was a magician, Jesus the Magician. There's a book out there called Jesus the Magician. Christians, you really want to piss them off, tell them that their God, the most important thing for them in their lives, was nothing but a minor functionary of another person's religion. Maybe, maybe, it's good to, maybe it's good to dish it back to them a little bit, give them a little bit of a taste of their own medicine. But of course they're going to be mad at you. Come on, of course. You know, but that's what a lot of these, especially esoteric movements, will do, because they're 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 uh, they're pantheistic. They're trying to kind of engulf all states, all levels, developments of history and of psychology and matter, and and they're trying to include uh, to show their movement has a continuity to it. Now, I'm not doing the Kybalion the justice that even it deserves. So I'm sorry for that. Let me go ahead to the next axiom. Chapter 4 is the All. Under and in back of the universe of time and space and change is an effort to be found the substantial reality. Oh, is ever to be found the substantial reality. The fundamental truth. Okay. Right, that's where they argue that it, everything actually does exist, as it said, substantial reality. That one isn't illustrating my point, so we'll go to the next one. Next axiom. Now, it's a very short book. And I wouldn't steer anyone away from reading through it. It's a very easy read. It's a very simple work. And it actually, I, I am somewhat doing it an injustice. It is a little more sophisticated than I'm necessarily characterizing it as, but it's a beginner text. Okay, Adam wouldn't be reading this. I can guarantee you, Adam, Adam might be reading uh, Marcus Aurelius if he's going to be reading anything. He wouldn't be reading this. The universe is mental and held in the mind of the all. The all is spirit, but what is spirit? This question cannot be answered for the reason that this definition is practically of the all, which cannot be explained or defined. Spirit is simply a name that men give to the, uh, the highest conception of the infinite mind. As much superior to life and mind as we know them as the latter are superior to mechanical energy and matter. Okay, so this stuff's just more of the same. It's backing up what I mentioned briefly. It's worth your reading. I will say that. It's worth your reading. Go ahead and read it. It's, it's on the internet. It's free. Uh, it's, it's public domain translation. And Okay, now this might be good. The Divine Paradox. Okay. The half-wise, recognizing the comparative unreality of the universe, imagine that they may defy its laws. Such are vain and presumptuous fools, and they are broken against the rocks and torn asunder by the elements by reason of their folly. The truly wise knowing the nature of the universe use law 
against laws, the higher against the lower. And by the art of alchemy, transmute that which is undesirable into that which is worthy. And thus mastery consists not in abnormal dreams, visions, and fantastic imaginings, or living, but in using the higher forces against the lower, escaping the pains of the lower planes by vibrating on the higher transmutation, transmutation, not presumptuous denial is the weapon of the master. Well, that was interesting. I should have bookmarked that more than I did. I should have, well, it's kind of more of the same, right? It's, it's sort of, it's a very poetic and beautiful way to put it. Paracelsus talks a lot about that, using nature. When he, he was a physician in, in his medicine that he practiced, oftentimes he found that he could invoke a cure of the ailment by introducing some of the poison that caused the ailment. That's where homeopathy, although homeopathy is utterly ineffective, and I think even Paracelsus would have thought the same, because he used real elements to try to heal people. Uh, you can, you can, you can use the essence of, of a disease to cure, the, the rid the body of that disease, of that very thing where Paracelsus talks a lot about using nature, the rules of nature, to defeat nature, using the laws of the higher to overthrow those of the lower, of the gross, materia. Now, I think probably, probably that would have given them a, a bit to chew on in terms of their trying to use electricity and the laws of the time loop to try to defeat the laws of the time loop. You know, I could see that they might have a mystical grasp, you know, Adam trying to break free of the time loop uh, but if, if so, he only gave evidence a couple of times to that stream of thought, and they certainly never, they never talked about it in a, in a philosophical way, openly. Uh, given that, I can sort of see, I still think it's a, it's a beginner text, and I still think they wouldn't be consulting it the way Noah was. I, I think he'd be consulting the Emerald Tablet. I, uh, I don't, you know, now given that, though, that chapter heading and that, that axiom, that's very probably what the underlying spirit of what Jonas and, uh, and Bartosh were trying to do when they were trying to build the machines, the different devices. You know, when they kept banging their heads against the, the, the time loop over and over again, just trying frantically to, to fix it, to break free of it. It may be that they had that particular statement in mind while they were doing this. So again, I've got to repeat, the Kabbalion's worth reading. Now, I'm going to close this episode down so it isn't too big and I'm going to do it in the middle of everything uh, and then I'm going to start recording a little later on uh, later tonight and I'm going to um, I'm going to carry on from here where we are now because I think it's worth although I feel like I'm kicking a dead horse now the poor Kybelion is uh, either it's humbled and I've made my point or I'm dead wrong and people will start laughing at me um, despite it's a good book. It's worth the read. It's a beginner's book, despite the profundity of some of what it says. Okay, it, Noah, and Adam, and Claudia 
wouldn't be consulting this. They'd be, they would be consulting uh, the Rosicrucians or Paracelsus or, you know, but I'll tell you why I don't think they did that to us. Why didn't the writers subject us to that? Because they're kind to their audience. That's why. Who knows about the Rosicrucians? I barely know about them. Okay, but they want people to understand, to be part of the story. They don't want to lock you out of the story. They don't want to gloat and stand over your head looking down at you going, look how smart we are, rah, rah, rah. They want to include you in the story. And it's necessary to be included in the story that you understand that at these people, you know, they are a strange secret society. And what they're doing is actually using ancient philosophies instead of modern, because like I, like I suggested earlier, they probably wouldn't have held up if they tried to be physicists. But as long as they were using electricity and they were alchemists, and they had enough heat and energy that gave them a better chance of finding the prematuria than, than you know, nursing what little cesium-137 that they had left. And they could do that no matter where they were along the time continuum. I mean, but in any case, that's, that's speculation. So I'm going to stop this episode right in the middle of my thought, uh, call it good, and start pick up again for the next episode, and pick up where I left off, talk a little more about the Kybalion, but also the Emerald Tablet, um, a little more about alchemy, and in the next episode I'm going to give a partial bibliography, some of the books I'm drawing from, uh, and some of the scholars, the esoteric thinkers, and the historians whose work I'm drawing from, uh, and religious scholars. So thanks very much. I uh, hope this didn't wasn't too boring to tears, wasn't too terrible, uh, and I'll pick right up where I left off soon. And as always, the sponsors are the same, um, you know, and welcome to the, the Cheapskate recording productions. My heart goes out to the esoteric order of the Luciferian lobster, and the, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, ever, the ever-revolving tides of the globe under the moonlight, hello Mercury, and Cogliostro's bones. We'll call that for now. I'll be right back with you very shortly, continuing this, this process. Have a good night, and have no fear. We will meet again under the shadow of the lily.